All right, guys. All right. I'm going to tell you. Yeah. So the correct answer was, of course, In-N-Out Burger. Um, with maybe Del Taco if you're really in the mood for some greasy kind of food, right? Uh, actually, so there's a reason for our 30-second question today. I have a couple. I'm not usually like a prop guy when I get up here and speak, but I have a couple props. So let me... Um, and I don't mean like props, like props, you know, actual stuff. We started with the dad jokes earlier, so I'm going to keep that going. Um, I have my In-N-Out Burger cup here. And my Forever 21 bag. I'm not ashamed to say that I shop at Forever 21. I like to think of myself as Forever 21, <laughs> right? But here's the question for you guys. What to this In-N-Out Burger cup my Forever 21 bag and the Bible have in common. Ashley, you know, what is it? There's a Bible verse on it. Do you know which one? Bonus points. John 3.16. Right. Good, good. Yeah, if you guys didn't know, on the bottom of your Forever 21 bag, it says John 3.16. I think they put it on all their, all their bags, right? And... At In-N-Out Burger, you guys probably know about the hidden, not so hidden Bible verse that they put on the bottom of the cup. Um, If you buy a soda, like a drink, uh, not like a shake, you get John 3.16 on the bottom of your cup. So that is the link between Forever 21, uh, In-N-Out Burger, and the Bible. And there's a reason for that. You guys, uh, if you've been coming to Voice uh, in the recent months, you know that we've been going through a series called Greatest Hits. And as I was contemplating, what's, what are some of the greatest hits in the Bible, you know? What are, what are the, the passages we all know and have heard many times? John 3.16, it's got to be pretty high on the list, right? It's got to be one of the top five, if not the most famous Bible verse out there. It's just sort of in the ether, you know, even of our, our culture, right? Um, you, you see it on, on athletes' eye black, you know, you see it on their, you know, if they're Christians, on their jerseys or their shoes. I think there was a, a Super Bowl ad, wasn't there, a few years ago where, where they used John 3.16. There was, like, kids kind of speaking it out and that kind of thing. So even if you haven't spent a lot of a time in church, there's a good chance you've heard John 3.16. So I'm going to say it out loud. If you want, guys want to be bold, you can speak it forth with me, whatever translation of the Bible you've heard it in, that's okay. But I want to see how many of us can, can just say this from memory, right? So here we go. For God so loved the world, right? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but will have eternal life. All right, there's a little Sunday school moment for you guys today. You all get a donut after church if you, if you said it. But yeah, I thought, man, it'd be fun to just talk about John 3.16 and not just talk about the verse itself, but put it in its context. You know, if you guys haven't met me, my name is Joe, by the way. I'm a worship pastor here at, uh, at Voice Church. And I have the, um, the great privilege of getting to share the scriptures from time to time with you guys as well. And something I've learned in my years of pastoral ministry, teaching the Bible, that kind of thing, is that if you really want to get deep into a biblical text, the best way to do it is to look at the whole passage, right? Nothing wrong with memorizing a a particular scripture, you know, and John 3.16 contains some awesome truth, right? But 
if we open up that whole passage, man, all of a sudden, God can illuminate a lot more for us. So if you have your Bible with you or you have a Bible app that you want to open up, um, you can open up to John 3. We're also going to have, I think, it on the screen here. So if you don't, that's cool too. John's gospel, you know, there's four uh, gospels that we, we call them gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John is kind of unique. He's sort of the outlier. He's kind of different, right? He, he gives us information you don't find in the other gospels. And one of the things he does is he records some like real private, intimate moments that Jesus has, conversations that Jesus has with people that are up close and personal. And that's what we find in, in John chapter 3. Um, Jesus is having this conversation with a man named Nicodemus. So let's read just the first few verses, and, and we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, this is so interesting, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's one of those moments of like, what? What what in the world? Like, how did you get from what he just said to there, right, Jesus? But And we'll get to that. But let's talk just for a moment about this man, Nicodemus. Um, It says he was a a Pharisee, right? So we know he was a religious leader. Uh, He was someone who would have been respected as a rabbi, a teacher. Jesus calls him that later on. Um, Someone who had some authority then, some power. Actually says he was a ruler. So this is somebody who probably had wealth, um, who was respected. You know, people would have looked to as a leader within this community. But it says he came at night. And maybe it would be easy to just kind of overlook that detail, you know, as like, whatever, it doesn't matter what time of day, you know, he went at night, big deal. But what's interesting is that uh, John later on, Nicodemus pops into this gospel a few more times. And later on in the book, John reminds us, Remember, oh yeah, this is Nicodemus. Remember, he's the guy that came at night. Like, he wants us to remember there was something peculiar about the fact that he came and visited Jesus in the evening. Now, you guys know this is the first century, right? There was no electricity. There were no street lights. And so when you went out at night, it was dark, right? Like, people did not see you. It was probably kind of hard even to make your way, you know, even through the city, Because it was so dark out. You were in the shadows. And there's a reason for that, right? Nicodemus could have gone to speak to Jesus during the day. We know that Jesus was teaching and preaching and healing and doing all the things we read about Jesus doing. He was doing that in and around the temple. He would often draw crowds. People would come to hear him. Nicodemus could have easily gone at one of those moments, right? But he comes at night. And I think there's a reason for that. He's he's interested in Jesus, He's heard some of these things he's done. He's heard some of these things he said. But he's not quite ready to openly, you know, have this conversation. He doesn't want to be associated with Jesus just yet, even though he's intrigued. You know, and I think there's, there's probably some of us in the room today who are in that same boat. You know, you're like, yeah, I've, I've heard about Jesus. I'm kind of interested in what he has to say. Man, there's just something unique and amazing about this man, you know, and the things I've read about, the things I've heard about, but I don't know if I'm quite ready 
to go public. You know, I don't know if I'm ready to bring that faith out into the light just yet. And I get that, you know, and and maybe there is a time where we need to explore. There's a time where we need to go, okay, let me examine what's being said. And one of the things we, I love about voice is this is a place where you can come and learn, right? And just hear about it and just um, kind of receive for a while. But there is a moment that we would prayerfully hope you would say, yeah, I'm ready to join the team. You know, I'm ready to bring this not in the darkness, but out into the light. I've had the great privilege in my life of really never having to have a hard conversation like where I'm like, I don't know if this person is going to, you know, reject me because I'm a follower of Christ. So I've, I've grown up in an environment where that was just generally applauded, right? Like my family and friends were like, cool, follow Jesus. That's great, you know. But I've had friends and, and others in my life where that wasn't the case. And I've seen um, that that's a difficult place to go. And yet God will bless it. You know, I, I used to lead a, a college ministry in my house. And there was one student named Jeff who I'll never forget. Great guy. God brought him out of this really just dark place in his life. You know, he had been struggling in so many ways. And Jesus just shined this light into his life in a powerful way. And I watched him kind of come to our gatherings and, and he was interested, intrigued, but kind of standoffish too. And I remember having this conversation with him one night and he was like, I want to tell my parents that I'm a Christian, but they are not going to receive it well, you know. And, I, you know, I didn't want to press him on it. I was like, you know what, man, God will give you, you know, the boldness and, and he'll tell you when that, that time comes, you know. And I'll never forget this one night I got this uh, phone call and it was Jeff. It was late at night. I was like getting ready for bed, you know. And he said, well, I told my mom I'm a Christian and now I'm sitting out in the garage. She kicked me out of the house, you know. I was like, wow, like it came home for me. Like I never had to experience that. You know, I never had to go through. And my heart went out to him and I, I felt partly responsible even, you know, like I'm sorry, man, that you got kicked out. But it was cool because I watched then over several months as he lived out that faith. And his mom, you know, his family had immigrated from Thailand. They were Buddhist. And, you know, at first it was like, you had brought shame on the family, those kind of things. But then as they saw him living out this Christian faith, they saw that transformation that Jesus had brought into his life. You know, they became so much more receptive and accepting of that. You know, and I'll never forget, I got to officiate his, his wedding. He met this great Christian girl. They got married. And his parents were just sitting in the front row beaming with pride. You know, uh, and I was like, man, it's so cool how he brought this out into the light and God blessed. And, you know, we, we had that, that quick blurb there about baptism earlier. That's really what baptism is, right? It's a moment of saying, I'm on team Jesus. I want to let the whole world know that I'm going to follow him, you know, and it's a beautiful thing when it happens. And maybe that time is, is near for you, whether you're here today or even those of you watching online. But Jesus gives this puzzling response, right? Nicodemus is very complimentary. You know, he's like, hey, Jesus, you know, you're a great guy. Uh, you're doing some really cool things. And Jesus is like, well, in order to you really see what's going on here, you need to be born again. You know, like, I've spent a lot of time really pondering that. Like, why, why such a response? Why so abrupt? Why wouldn't he sort of receive the compliment and then go, okay, but now let me explain to you. I think a couple things are going on here that, that make him do this. Number one, it's sort of like 
if you guys are fans of Uno, we love to play Uno in my family. When someone gets down to Uno and they think they're holding all the power, and then you play that reverse plus draw four card on them, right? And the, the power shifts, right? They thought the game was over. They were going to end it. And you're like, nope, here you go, right? In, in a sense, Jesus is doing that, right? Like Nicodemus, as a great ruler and, and leader, he thinks to himself, I'm going to invite Jesus onto my team. Like, Jesus, you know, you're a pretty nice guy. You may be a little rough around the edges, right? But we're going to let you maybe come over to our side, see things our way. And Jesus flips that script on him, right? And he's like, actually, <laughs> I'm going to invite you to see what God is doing through me. And in fact, there's something radical that needs to happen even in your life, Nicodemus, for you to really grab hold of this, for you to really comprehend and understand what God is doing. There's a little bit of confusion here that we're going to see throughout this conversation uh, between Jesus and Nicodemus. Um, and I think it's, it's on purpose, right? There's, there's some wordplay going on. You know the, the word that's translated born again, right? You must be born again. It could also be translated born from above. This idea that Jesus is saying you need to have a heavenly birth, there's a radical transformation in the spiritual realm that needs to take place in your heart and in your life. And Nicodemus doesn't quite get it. We're going to see that played out a little bit. In verse 4, this is what Nicodemus says in response, right? How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? You know, like he's like thinking like actual logistically, like I'm a grown man. Trust me, you don't want to see me try to go back into my mother's womb and, and recreate that moment, right? It only happens once. And this is how Jesus responds to him. Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied. So again, there's a little bit of wordplay here. You notice how Jesus talks about the wind blowing around, and then he says, so is everyone born of the Spirit. The same Greek word for wind is also the word for spirit. It's the word pneuma. You may have heard that one before. And Jesus is, I think, using this analogy, right, trying to lead Nicodemus from saying, this is a physical representation of what I'm talking about it needs to happen in your life in the spiritual realm, and Nicodemus just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He says, how can these things be, right? A uh, modern translation would be, huh? What? Like, what are you talking about? Where are you going with this? And Jesus actually says, you're a teacher of Israel. You're respected among this whole nation as someone who knows the scriptures, and yet I can't believe you don't fully comprehend this. The, the question for us might be, should he have understood? Like, is it being hard on Nicodemus? Or should he have kind of gotten to this place where Jesus was trying to lead him? In some ways, I think, and I don't want to be too harsh, but the answer could be yes. 
if you knew the Old Testament scriptures well, and you had a grasp upon some of the prophetic words that were spoken, you might start to go, oh yeah, that's right, the Bible does talk about a new heart, a new birth, a new spirit, a time when God's spirit was going to be poured out in new ways, right? The prophets Jeremiah and Joel, and in several places, it talks about God replacing a heart of stone with the heart of flesh, about this transformation that needed to take place, especially when you see the Messiah coming. And there's a sense we could say, yeah, maybe he should have grabbed onto that a little bit more. But as I, as I pondered this, you know, in the last couple of weeks, really kind of examining this passage again, I started to look at my own life a little bit, right? And go, huh, there's a new heart. There's a new birth that's taken place. God's spirit is now present in my life. That wind is blowing to put wind into my sails. And yet, do I really live as though that's the case? Do I live every day with those realities in front of me? Or sometimes do I kind of live like a functional atheist, right? Like, yeah, I believe those things. Yeah, that's true. That's real. But I'm just going to really focus in on the physical stuff. You know, what are my current needs right now? What is it I want in this moment? And maybe we've never lived in a time in human history where that's more of a temptation, right? Just to fulfill those fleshly kind of physical desires, not always in a bad way, but where that becomes the only focus that we have. So there was a few things that God really put on my heart as I was examining this passage. Not words of of judgment or, or shaming, but just things that God was bringing up in my own heart to try to move me further in that direction, right? Of examining, like, are you paying attention to where the Spirit is leading? Are you submitting your life to what God is doing in the Spirit. So here's three questions I wanted to to throw at you guys this morning. Questions I've been asking myself. Number one, when faced with a big life decision, do we seek God's wisdom before moving forward? You know, like, I've got a job opportunity in front of me. Big decision here on a significant relationship, maybe a significant other. Right? There, there's something going on with my education, and there's some paths I can follow here. But rather than saying, you know what, I know what to do, I've got this, I think God would want us to say, Lord, where would you be leading me in this moment? What is it that you would have me do? Right? All these paths look good to my eyes of flesh, but where is your spirit wanting to lead me in this time? For me, for my family, whatever it might be. Number two, In difficult seasons, right, when tragedy hits us, where do we find our comfort and our strength? The Psalms are full of poetry, beautiful poetry. David and others who who wrote down these poetic expressions of this battle that they faced, right, where they're going, man, life has been rough. Life has been difficult. Even the most significant people in my life, those I trusted, have left me, have walked away from me right? Uh, Maybe there's a, a physical ailment or something going on that's just wrecked my world. But the question then becomes, where am I going to go to find comfort and strength in this moment, right? There's that moment in so many Psalms where they say, but God, I turned my eyes to the Lord. I sought the Holy Spirit's comfort and strength, and he brought it to me, you know, and they give that testimony of that. 
And I always read that and think, man, that's what I want to be. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to find my comfort and strength. There's so many places we can run to in difficult times. And, you know, not that they're all bad in and of themselves, but at the end of the day, at the core of our being, where are we going to go for comfort and strength? You know, for me, is it going to be like a bunch of stupid podcasts about fantasy books that no one cares about? You know, Jenny can tell you how much time I waste on that. Um, you know, like when, when I'm going through a tough time, is that where I'm going to run just to numb the, the thinking about it a little bit or whatever? You know, our Netflix queue, you know, whatever it might be. Or am I going to go to God and say, God, I need your strength. I need your spirit's comfort in this moment. So that's kind of the highs and the lows, but what about the mid, right? Kind of that daily grind. In the daily grind of life, do we open ourselves up to the leading of God's Spirit? You know, it's so easy in the mundane, right? The day-to-day, hey, I've got my job, I've got school, I've got stuff going on, I've got, you know, hobbies, social activities that are just kind of happening. And to be like, man, Lord, today... It's going to be just like the day before, the day before that. I'm good. You know, I've got this. Rather than saying, God, you know what? Even in the mundane, even in the stuff that I do all the time, there's ways that you want to speak. There's people you want to reach out to through me. There's lives that you want to touch of those coworkers that I'm around, of those other students that are in those classes that I'm in. And to really stop and say, God, where would you lead me? in those times, not to fly through. So big, three big questions, right, to really ponder when it comes to are we being sensitive to God's Spirit? But I want to read, kind of read this, this last portion and talk just a little bit about it. We're going to get through verse 16 and kind of through that. I'm actually in the, the CSB translation today, just so you guys know, in case it sounds a little bit different than what you've got. So verse 11 Jesus says, truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? He's like, you're just not tracking with me, Nicodemus. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God, so, or for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So we'll stop there for now. There's a, there's a whole story, that the whole lifting up the snake thing. In the, in the book of Deuteronomy, amazing story. We don't have time to go into it today. Beautiful picture of the rescue that Jesus came to bring. And that's ultimately where Jesus is ending up here, right? Talking about, this is what my mission 
is all about. This is what I came to accomplish. This is what I came to do. Some people today think that Jesus' mission was a mission of of judgment or condemnation, right? That he came to give people a bunch of really ridiculously hard rules to follow, and when we don't follow them, he's really disappointed in us, right? And, And he's just wanting us to work so hard at things, and when we blow it, man, he's just He's just given us this grimace and, ah, oh, how could you, you know, kind of a thing. And Jesus makes it clear that is not the case. You know, the, the, this vision of an angry God, right, that some people have, he kind of flips that on its side. He says, God so loved the world, right? It's not, it's not God hated the world, right, so he sent his son to judge and condemn it. It's no, God so loved the world. He loved his creation. He loves so much the people that he created that he sent his son on a rescue mission. That's what Jesus is here for, to rescue, to redeem, to restore. And he's going, Nicodemus, that's what you need to see. I came to save, to seek and save that which was lost. You know, I think about, when I think about rescue, the image that pops into my mind is the Remember the, the soccer team that got stuck in that cave in Thailand a few years back? It makes me claustrophobic just talking about it. But, you know, basically they, you know, they went down into this cave and the tide levels kind of came up and they got trapped. You know, water was going on. There was no way they would have been able to swim out of the cave any longer. It was just crazy, horrible. I remember being on, uh, I was on Twitter at that time. And um, all these people had all these plans. It was like the whole world had some idea. Here's how we can do it. You know, like, here's how we can rescue those young boys. It was like, it was one of those moments where there was kind of a rallying, like, we got to save these kids, you know, um, that were stuck down there. But could you imagine if, uh, you know, and and what happened eventually, there was like a dive team, right? They had these divers that kind of went through. They came up, and I think they were able to, to put masks, uh, you know, and give the boys oxygen and, and kind of get them out of the cave. It was really amazing the way they did it. I think there might be a documentary about it that just came out recently. Um, but imagine if, you know, that first diver kind of swam through, you know, those troubled waters, came up to this small area with this small patch of ground where these boys were at, and, and the boys saw them and were like, we're actually doing pretty good, you know. You can probably just turn around and swim back the way you came, you know? Like, if you have a few snacks for us or whatever, that would be nice. But we're just going to remain here in the darkness, right? Like, how crazy would that have been? And, and no one would have ever expected them to respond that way. Of course, it was gratitude, right? Probably tears of joy going, oh, man, someone cared. Someone cared enough to come for us, to risk their life to save us. And Jesus is saying, that's my mission, that's what I came to do. But for us, you know, to be, to be rescued from something, you have to admit there was something you needed to be rescued from, right? That's the truth of the situation. We have to admit that. I, I really think, for me, what I've learned over many years is there's freedom in the confession. I'm a sinner. <laughs> you know, I'm not perfect, Right? There are some blind spots that I've got. There's ways that I've blown it, and I can see that and admit that freely. And I find freedom in that, to be honest. 
the standard of perfection is not there. You know, I'm in my, uh, you guys, I'm actually not 21, just so you guys know. I like, to, I like to think of myself as 21. It's like, I always feel like we all get stuck at some age, and we just think we're that age for the rest of our lives. Once you're like in your early 20s, like, I was thinking of myself as like 23, you know, and I just I stopped there, but you guys in your 20s will get that one day, but I'm actually in my late 40s, believe it or not, and I've been in, uh, in pastoral ministry for like almost 20 years now, right? I was in my late 20s when I was just getting into um, being a staff worship leader and, and that kind of thing, and I look back now, like 20 years on, to some of the stuff I said and did in that season of my life, even as a pastor, like even as someone who was like super confident, like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I can, I can lead this ministry. I can lead people. I look back now and I kind of cringe, right? Like, oh, man, so immature, you know? Like, oh, some of the stuff you did. Like, why did you do that? You're of those moments like where you remember something from 20 years ago and it keeps you up at night because you're like, why, you know? I have those moments now, but at the time... I had no clue. I was just like, yeah, I'm doing the right thing, you know? And I'm sure someday, if God allows, I'll be in my 60s, right? And I'll probably look back on this time in my life and go, man, I was kind of a foolish, immature guy, right? Like, there's blind spots. I've, I've learned that, right? In, in time, there's blind spots that I have, and that's okay. God is still working. God is still even using me. Like, I'm like, Lord, how did you, that, that young, immature, prideful guy in his 20s, like, you were using me then? And again, I'll probably think that about the guy in his 40s too at some point. I love this quote from, uh, from Tim Keller. I don't know if you guys have heard of Tim Keller. He just recently passed, went to be with the Lord. Um, one of my favorite authors, theologians, just kind of a great thinker of the last, you know, for the church of the last 30, 40 years. And this was one of his most famous quotes. He said, The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I've clung to that at times, right? Not, not as a word of like, I should be ashamed. I should just walk in shame or guilt or something like that. But again, that freedom of being like, that's just who we are, Right? And Jesus came to rescue us, even from ourselves. Think about this, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote like half of the New Testament or something like that, right? Like so much of what we read, so many of the deepest, amazing truths of the Bible are found in Paul's letters, whether it's the book of Romans, right, right on into all those uh, epistles that he wrote. This is one of Paul's Sayings. He says this in the book of First Timothy. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So he's like, here's a really important thing I'm about to tell you guys. Right? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Right? Again, like, I don't think Paul was like, oh, just beating himself over, the, like, oh, I'm just so horrible. You guys don't understand. No, he's like, that's just the reality of the situation. Jesus came to rescue and redeem and to save that which was lost. Our pride can keep us from admitting that. Our pride can keep us from being like, yeah, that's where I'm at. You know, but I think it's important just to come to grips with it. 
And the reality is this. I'm sure a lot of you guys here today would be like, well, I've made that confession, Joe. You know, like, I get it. I, I understand what you're saying. I'm tracking with you. You know, and Jesus came to rescue and save. I've prayed that prayer. I've made that confession. But the reality is this. You know, Jesus shines that light into our lives. And it's a beautiful thing when it happens. But there's always going to be certain parts of our own heart where we're like, yeah, but there's this little bit of darkness over here that I'm just not ready to bring into the light. And again, you might think, well, what will people say? Even God maybe won't accept me for this, right? Maybe, I brought a lot of stuff out, but man, there's a few things I'm holding on to that I just don't want to come to terms with. There's a darkness that's there that I'm just not ready to let the light shine upon it. And that's where shame and guilt and those things can have their way in us, right? There's something beautiful about just bringing things to the light of Jesus, right? His light is not there to judge or condemn, like he just said. It's there to shine that we might now experience that life that God wants to give. You know, and if there's anything in your heart as we're talking about that, that you're like, yeah, I've been clinging to this little patch of darkness, to this thing that I'm just not ready for anybody to see. I just want to let you know God knows. There's nothing hidden, right? God sees. But there's something beautiful about bringing it into the light and saying, Lord, I need healing. I need redemption. I need forgiveness. I need restoration on this issue. And so my, my hope today is to not pry into, you know, what's going on in your heart or whatever, but just to say between you and God, even as we head back into a time of worship, this could be a time to just bring it out and say, Lord, here it is. Here's what's been going on. Here's that thing that I thought I was through, and yet it seems to have come back up again. Here's that little patch of darkness that's kind of that little cave, right, that, that's found a way into my heart. And I just want to release it to you again. I want that freedom that comes from your spirit's presence and power, feeling the wind in my sails blowing me forward and through. So I just invite you guys to do that as we head back into to worship for these next few songs and on into the end of the service, to surrender those things to God. There's a beautiful thing that happens when we surrender to the Lord. Let's do that. Let's go ahead and pray as we, as we close and we'll worship. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to save. God, that you love the world so much that you sent us the greatest gift that ever has been given. Your very son in the flesh, giving his life for us. Rising from the dead that we might have the hope of eternal life in our hearts. Knowing that our relationship with God has been restored, that peace has been brought. And Jesus, you long to continually free us. Scriptures say that we have not been given a spirit of bondage to fear, a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of freedom by which we can cry out, Abba, Father, God, you care about me. You know where I'm at. You're my dad. You're my heavenly Father. I can lay these things out at your feet. And I pray that we would have the courage to do that today, God. Courage to let those chains be broken. Courage to let your spirit shine light into the darkness. That we might have that beautiful freedom. So we surrender our hearts, our lives to you, God. That you would have your way in us. 
and just pray that your spirit's presence and power would move us forward in strength and in comfort. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.